Let me see you put them up Reach the sky, touch the stars up above Cause it's one time for the underdog I'm Patrick Bidivy, host of ITM, and in today's guest I'm interviewing is Patty McCord, the former chief talent officer of Netflix for 14 years, where they helped the company go from zero to $150 billion. We're going to talk to her today. Patty, what I hear is the fact that you're at a different event. You're speaking at that event. You took a quick flight to come. You got to get back to the event. I did. Is that really what's yeah, going yeah, on right yeah. now? Yeah, and my flight was an hour late because we had a flat tire. Planes with flat tires flat nowadays. Flat tire, you know, guys are kind of rolling it up. It was, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, I'm glad whoever changed the flat I'm tire here. is, is yeah, here. They, they probably tire. called the uh, AAA. I don't know what if planes called AAA. Thank yes. You. Yeah, I, I was really fascinated by your story and what you built. Literally, when I started going through, I'm like, and maybe part of it was because I'm going through right now with hiring an HR person and we're going through that culture, but the timing was so perfect where I'm like, oh, people need to know about the kind of culture you guys build. So, one is, before we go through the story of, you know, what's happened, what's taking place uh, with the business on how Netflix became the success story that it is, maybe let's go back at the infancy stages of the business while you guys were first going through it, you know, beginning stages while you're working with Reed Hastings. You know, did you guys really know what you had? Was it like, yes, we're going to one day do it? Was no, it vision? What no, was it? No, 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 no. Okay, let me tell you the pre-story because it's a good story. Reed and I worked together at another company which was a software tools company. Reed was an engineer, he wrote the original prod product. Uh, we grew through merger and acquisition. In the five years we were together, we went public and acquired four other companies. Every company that we acquired was twice as, w when we got together, we were twice as big. So we were 100 people, 200, 400, 800, 1600. And then we got acquired by our largest competitor. And honestly, it was my first big HR job. I started out as a recruiter, and, um, and Reed hired me because it was the only skill he thought was actually necessary in HR. He was like, all that other stuff is bullshit, but you're a recruiter, so I'll hire you. So He flat uh, out said that to you. He flat out said that to me after he hired me. Probably wouldn't have taken the job if he hadn't. So um, we sold the company and Reed made a bunch of money and he invested in a bunch of startups and one of them was Netflix. And for those of you who are in the US, anybody use DVD by mail? Okay, so the first product was, so, the, so he calls me up in the middle of the night and I knew about the idea because he had told me about it. He says, are you sleeping? And I said, yeah, geek, I'm normal, it's two in the morning. And he said, uh, I'm gonna go run Netflix and I said, sounds like a great career move you, you go for it big guy and he said well I want you to come too and I'm like you know I need to go back to sleep because I, first of all um, who's gonna use this product there's only I only knew four people that had DVD players they cost fifteen hundred dollars right uh, and so I'm like who's what year is this by is this 94 is this 96 7 97, 97. Okay. I said for you know I'm consulting my kids know my name I'm having a pretty good time uh, don't ask me to do a startup with you I know what you're talking about go call a stranger and say startup would be fun <laughs> and third of all this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard and he said uh, I'll make it compelling I'll make it so that you can't say no and I said there isn't a possible thing you could say to me and he said what if we build a company that was really successful and we loved working there and we we just built the kind of company we wanted to work in okay now I'm awake 
And I said, well, how would you know? Right? Good question. If, if we did that, yep. how would you know? And he said, oh, I'd want to walk in the door and solve these problems with these people every day. I'm like, damn, that's good. And he said, how about you? How would you know? And I said, wouldn't it be great if we were a great place to be from? Like if having Netflix on your yeah. resume meant something. Because I was in, I didn't, I'm a recruiter, right? Like, you were at Apple? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, so... I didn't know at that time how profound my statement was because when you build a company that is a great place to be from and you say that you want it full of people who when they leave, which most people do, um, that they walk away saying, God, that was it. I, I did something that was un- unbelievable with people that I really loved working with. I accomplished something that people use, right? and. So, you know, I had to, that was compelling. But the beginning was, you know, we were blockbuster online. We had due dates and late fees. We couldn't get any content. Nobody would sell us anything. We bought DVDs at Walmart. I mean, I would go to Walmart with my shopping cart and fill it full of DVDs. It really, it was- That's the beginning stages of it. It was bad, Now, let me ask you, at that time, uh, uh, Patty, who was Reed at that time? Like, meaning, what kind of reputation did he have with you of working with him? Well, the, we had sold the company that we were in together for quite a bit of money, and so we made the investors a lot of money, so he was pretty golden in terms of rainmaking. Um, but in terms of the man I knew, you know, when I met him, he was, I, I would have to lecture him in the morning and say, look, if you're going to sleep under your desk, please get the fuzz out of the beard in the morning, because it looks tacky. Right? He, was a, he was a geeky engineer. And his transformation to a great leader was when he realized, I caught him one night, this is at the first company, I caught him one night, uh, I walked in, it's like seven o'clock at night, he's at his computer, you know, in the glow of his computer, and I said, oh, are you working on the slides for the company meeting tomorrow? He's like, yeah, that's what I'm working on. I walked behind him and I said, you're bug fixing. You found a bug in the software and you're working on it. He's like, well, somebody's got to do it. I'm like, yeah, somebody's got, like, how about these people that we hired to do it? You have a big speech tomorrow. Read if you want to follow the goddammit lead. Wow. And I stomped out. Was this prior? This is not Netflix. This, this is not the former. Netflix. At that time, is he known in the market? Like, does he have a name like he is Reed? Like, do they look at him as? No. 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 Nah, he's it. just another Silicon Valley. I mean, he's successful. He made a bunch of money, and so that makes you famous, right? Uh, having a successful IPO is important, sure. but he's not famous like he is now. And the, so, so at Netflix, like what was different was we both made a commitment to each other that we would try to create some the best possible place we could, and we didn't mean people were happy. Right? Because I'm not very touchy-feely. You can read it in my book. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody's ever called me touchy-feely. But um, you, people hugged you when they left them. People cried when uh, they saw you a couple years later sure, after work. Sure. Yeah. You know, I used to do, when I first started speaking, I would do a lot of talking about how your employees aren't your family and you shouldn't use the word family. And then when people meet me, they say, they read my book and they meet me and they say, you know, I, I hope you're not offended, but you're pretty nice. <laughs> Like, I kind of didn't expect you to be nice, and I didn't expect you to be warm. And, you know, I'm the queen of the good goodbye, and I think you can say goodbye to people with affection and grace and dignity, and I'm really, really good at it. And so what I now say is my lifelong friends are from work. Right, I mean, I would trust my children's lives with the people I worked with at Netflix, but it wasn't, but it's not a family, and it wasn't always fun. 
That's why, you know, like, I've been crazy when I left Netflix. I was sort of at the beginning of this whole San Francisco startup scene, and I would go into all, every single office was really cool, and every single office had plants, and every single office was open, and every single office had a bartender. Right, and I'm like, really? You raised, nice. you know, you raised this much money in your second round, and you're spending it by putting a bartender on payroll? And they're like, yeah, we're worried we might have some issues of sexual harassment. I'm like, you think? I mean, you've got a bar at work. Um, and I would talk to people, and they would say, you know, it's our job in HR to make people happy. And I would give them this assignment, and I'll give you this assignment. Find uh, two, three people in your organization that are amazing you know who they are, right? The people that really accomplish amazing stuff. And t t ask them to tell you a story about, tell me about the thing that you're most proud of, right? Something that you accomplished that you really thought made a difference. And every single story will be about something hard, right? And so my fundamental belief is what makes us happy at work. That's so powerful. Is accomplishing things. It's always when you go, man, we didn't think we could do that. And we sure didn't think we could do it by that deadline, but we did it, right? And, and, it w and the stories are also always about team efforts, right? It, it's always a we, right? And if the person's an I person, you probably don't want to hire them anyway, because all of your companies, all of the things that you're doing, it's a team effort. So that's what I just fundamentally believe. And so I fundamentally believe that. And then it took me until Netflix. So that was a long way in my career. I'm an old lady to realize that you could actually build a company with adults. And I don't mean old, you know, because all of you know really mature 20 year olds and we all know really immature 40 year olds. Right? And so we started sort of screening for adult behavior. And so if you hire people who are adults and they're smart and they care and they can and you expect a lot from them, it goes pretty right. <laughs> so, so let's start with that. Let's, yeah. let's, because there's a few things I'd like to accomplish with the, uh, yeah. the sit down we have together. One is recruiting. Two is when it's time to go. Three is repositioning and putting people in better places. Yep. Uh, but the most important one to start off with is, I mean, for Cheryl to say what she said about what you guys came up with, we got 15 million hits. Yeah. That's pretty wild right okay, there. Okay, here's the backstory of the Netflix culture deck. Tell us. So when Reed and I went to Netflix, the thing that we vowed to each other that would be different was we would, um, we would actively control the culture as much as we could. We would be deliberate about it. We wouldn't let it happen. And so what we would do in order to do that is we'd write it down. So at the time, Reed was a guy who thought in PowerPoint. He um, does outlines, right? So PowerPoint's good for him. And so he said, let's have a, an offsite and we're gonna talk about values. And I said, let's not, we've got a business to figure out. And it's usually just an esoteric waste of time. You know, Enron said integrity and they carved it in marble and they didn't mean it. So I don't wanna do that. Like, tell me what to put on a t-shirt, we'll buy some t-shirts, I don't care. And I said, but you know what I will do? I will write down behaviors. Let's write down, like, if we say integrity, we need to say, this is what it looks like. This is what you act like when you have integrity. And this is what it looks like when you don't. And if you don't, you don't work here anymore. It's gonna be that straightforward. So we did that. Uh, and if you, those of you who have ever seen the Netflix culture deck, that's the first part of it. We rewrote that section seven times. 
because we would, what we'd do is we'd get back with all the leaders of our team and we'd say, okay, let's go through this. Name a person that's doing this. Name a person that's doing this. Name a, and if we couldn't, we would say, is that a value that really matters? Is that a behavior that we care? Is that, wow. are we true to Got ourselves? Yep. Okay, that's chapter one. Okay. Uh, in the year 2000, uh, we were gonna go public. We were pitching our IPO on Sand Hill Road. We were drinking champagne and eating caviar, and we were gonna have $100 stock in private jets because pets.com did and Webvan did. And so it was our turn, I mean, after all. And we were gonna be a portal. We were gonna be sell ads and movie stars, and we were gonna be everything entertainment. And um, the bubble burst and the bankers pulled the IPO and we didn't make it. Is this the time where you lost a third of your employees? Yeah, so th well, this is when we, I, I laid off 30% of the workforce. Yeah. So it was, uh, we ran out of money and so we had one chance to make it. We were either gonna, the business was gonna be, it was subscription business, right? So we had to build a base. And every, the marketing dollar that we spent acquiring a new customer was a dollar that was lost because it didn't come back in the subscription for many months, actually. So I said goodbye to, uh, Anybody whose job it was to tell somebody else what to do, all of middle management, anybody who wasn't technically competent to work on DVD by mail only, uh, anybody who was a baby or a whiner. Because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't tell the guy who complained about the color of his t-shirt that we literally didn't have any money left for t-shirts. So we did that, it was, a, it was very difficult for us, but that Christmas, so now it's 2001, uh, DVD players dropped to $99. If you're in the US, you had one under your Christmas tree. And in that DVD player box was a coupon that said, try Netflix for free. And our business went whoosh. How'd you get that contract? You know, we ch I, I went into Best Buy one <laughs> night before Christmas and opened up boxes and stuffed in envelopes because we got a deal with Best Buy that they would let us do it in certain DVD player boxes. Oh, so, you, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. You guys put that in there? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're scrappy, baby. We were scrappy. I mean, we're all over the it's, it's scrappy stuff. You know, and we, because we couldn't, we couldn't put them in in China. We couldn't afford the plane ticket to China. It's really expensive. That's great. It's great. <laughs> so, uh, business takes off, and... That, by the way, I'm still thinking about it. That's insane. Did you guys Don't really you guys hear what you... do insane you, stuff like that? That's insane. That's great. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but, but yeah, I, we, we knew when we were doing well because we didn't have a bartender. It's when I went over with my shopping cart and got beer that wasn't in cans um, to celebrate something. Okay, so business is going crazy. We're working harder than we've ever worked. Reed and I are driving to work one day and I'm like, I've never worked this hard in my life. He goes, me too. I'm like, I've never had this much fun in my life. And he goes, me too. What is it? Let's figure it out. Right, and so we realize everybody is so focused, and everybody, and and here's how we would win. Right, this is the only hope we had was to make our product so much better that you'd get addicted to it that you wouldn't ever want to give it up. Right, and so the only metric that mattered was our customer, and we knew that they liked it because they stayed. 
because it was a subscription service, right? And so it, we had to constantly, constantly improve, 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 improve. And inside of the company, we started changing the way we communicated with each other, where if anybody would opine about something or have an idea or disagree with something, it kind of, whatever the sentence was, it had to end with, because it affects the customer. Right? If, if you're being a jerk and my team doesn't want to work with you, then that's really problematic because we're wasting a bunch of time and we got to make this feature for our customers as soon as we can, right? Because this is a, really, a thing that they'll really want. But, so it was like comma for the customer. Okay, so that's when we wrote the chapter in the culture deck called High Performance. And that's when we described what we thought were high performing people, adults, smart, good judgment, uh, make the right call, uh, would be able to go out and talk to other people on the team to be able to be good team players. Uh, then when I, and it probably took me four years to create the systems to ha actually have high performance people. W say that to create systems? Yeah, so I had to have a people? really great recruiting team. And I had to have, uh, and, and, I, and if, I, if the business changed, if I hired you to build something and two years in you had built it and you were done, and now I needed you to maintain it, and you don't want to maintain it, you're a builder, I'm not going to put you on a performance improvement plan, you're performing, <laughs> right? I, I, over time I would realize that I could just say, I think you're done. So what do you want to do here? Because we only had one product. I couldn't send them somewhere else in the company, right? And so I so had to, mean, instead of doing a 90-day perform written yeah. performance improvement plans, now this took me years, that's why I'm telling you, it took me years. Eventually I could say, I don't think this is gonna work out. Um, here's three months pay. You wanna work on your next great job? Right? So I'm gonna segue into a lesson I wanna teach you about this. But, but so then we wrote high performance. So the Netflix culture deck took 10 years to write because it took 10 years to figure it out. So another day we're driving, toward, Reed and I carpooled a lot. He says, I met this woman last night who created this really cool company. They put PowerPoint decks on the internet. I said, that is such a great idea. I wonder what people are gonna put out there. And he said, oh, I put the deck out. It was an internal onboarding document. We didn't write that to be a viral treatise on how to run your company. We wrote it so that when you join Netflix, we could say, oh, by the way, we should tell you how it works around here. And I freaked out, okay? So anybody seen the Netflix Culture Deck, that PowerPoint presentation? It's ugly as sin. I said, oh, God, read it. So, the graphics, I mean, some arrows and the yin and yang, oh. You know, and people kind of loved it because it was so dorky. He said, you never told me it was dorky. I'm like, yeah, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And, and then I said, you're going to scare all our candidates because in the culture deck it says adequate performance gets a generous severance package. And he said, only the ones we don't want. But what it did for us was it, uh, it made our interviewing process really rich because we didn't just talk about were you qualified for the job. We talked about how do you like to work? What kind of team player are you? Um, what's important to you? Uh, where are you at in your career, right? Is it, is it title that you're chasing right now? Because we don't have any. I mean, I call seniors, I call people senior software engineers. They're like, you have one title for software engineers? What's the salary range? I'm like, oh, like 70 to 700,000. <laughs> How do you know you're senior? I'm like, oh, you know. 
<laughs> you know, right? It's senior, you know, right? Okay, so that's how the culture deck was written. That's how it was not, we didn't release it. That's how it went viral. We had no clue that people would pick it up like they did. Like crazy. The reason why I wrote my book was that when I left Netflix, every CEO in the world would throw the culture deck down and say, I want to do this. And I would say, oh, by the way, newsflash, it took 10 years to write. And so I wrote my book, and my book is like the hitchhiker's guide to the Netflix culture deck. So there's a methodology I want to teach you, all of you, that will encompass when to hire, when to fire, who to hire, but that, that I think is really helpful. And it's this. Imagine your team six months from now. And I think six months is a really good uh, amount of time because our businesses move so fast now. I have a hard time with companies that still do five-year planning. I'm like, you know that you're just making up the other three years, right? We all know that, right? Um, so let's say in six months, you have a team that is amazing, not better, amazing, like your competitors, the other people around you are like, oh my God, these people, I can't believe what they're accomplishing. And I want you to write down what's going to be occurring then that's not occurring now. You can give me all your numerals if you're a metrics person. Is it more customers? Is it better retention? Is it a better quality software? Is it better customer experience? Whatever that is, right? And give me all those numbers, but then walk around your company and make a movie of it. I can't help it, I'm from Netflix, right? And you make a movie of it like, if it was optimal, would there be more meetings? Or would there be less meetings? Would there be people who stand up and go, it sounds like what they're doing is marketing is crazy. I'm gonna go ask them why. Instead of going, the people in marketing are crazy, you know. Right? What's occurring then that's not occurring now? Because I want to give you, I want you to think about those behaviors. And, it, and for smaller companies, very often the problems that you reach when you actually are going to be successful are no longer problems of difficulty, they're problems of scale or complexity. Right? So in six months, you might need somebody who really knows how to take this rocket ship and really make it successful, and everybody you have on your team's been there since the beginning, but they don't know anything about 100 times. Okay, so we got that, you got that written down. Now drop down a level and go, huh, what would people need to know how to do in order to accomplish that in six months? Very important that we put time wrappers on this, because otherwise, as leaders of companies, especially small companies, we get caught in the trap of someday, <laughs> right? And we tell people, you know, you, yeah, you could do, you could be CFO someday. Rock on, you do it. You can do that, right? You say that. No, but no, people do in other no, no. companies, oh, you right? Guys and then, didn't say and then that, that person goes, "You told me I could be CFO," and I say, "Yeah, but you're an accounts payable clerk, right? You know that you can't be CFO now. Why not?" So, so, so wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So you're saying you guys didn't say something? We didn't say. Yeah. No, that's why I'm so saying for that, you when well, I'm well, teaching well, let's you stay, this. Let, let me let me ask the questions. Let me ask the question because yeah. I want to go specific. So. <coughs> So I say I can't be, a, 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 I ask you a question. Hey, one day I'd like to be a CFO. Yep. And I'm accounts payable. Yep. What do you tell me? I say, well, have you thought about a reasonable and rational time frame to accomplish that, right? And you say, well, there's a CFO opening here and I'm, I'm, I'd like to be qualified for it. And I say, you're not. 
<laughs> because here's what the qualifications for a CFO would be in a public company. So there's, a, you know, you don't know anything about tax, you don't know anything about audit, you don't know. So these are all things that you will learn in your career. Let's just be realistic about the time frame. Okay, so back to my methodology. Okay, now I'm six months out. What do you need to know how to do? Then you drop down and say, what kind of skills and experience would it take for somebody to know how to do that in order to accomplish that in six months? And then and only then, who's on your team now? Right? And if you start with who's on your team now and you extrapolate out, you'll, you'll do more, you'll get better, but you might not get as good as you could if you didn't articulate the end game. So when you have that articulation, this is what it's gonna look like. These are the problems. Now you can go, wow, this is a problem that nobody on the team knows how to solve. That's who you hire, right? And so now you haven't written a job description because job descriptions are dumb. I mean, I'm in recruiting. I'm, the, the, here's what job description is. It's either a description of somebody who left that you wish hadn't, a fantasy person that doesn't exist, or whatever it takes to get it approved. None of those are who you hire. You wanna hire somebody who can solve this problem that you have in a fairly short amount of time. And so now when you're recruiting, you're not only recruiting for somebody who's qualified, but you're recruiting for somebody who goes, oh man, I'd love to do that. The other thing is it leaves you open to a lot of different ways of solving the problem. Because otherwise, what people tend to do is say, I wanna hire somebody with these qualifications and I want them to be really smart and quick on their feet and intelligent and charismatic, like someone like me, maybe me 10 years ago. And that's who you hire. And like hires like, hires like, hires like. And then you wonder why you don't have any diversity and any diversity of thought, and you don't have anybody who knows how to solve a problem that nobody in the team already knows how to solve. Okay, so that's how you figure out who to hire. In the same way, sometimes when you do those problems, you realize, oh, oh, the team I have is not the team to do that. So here's my Netflix story. We'd grown 30%, this is afterward, things are going good, right? This is probably around 2010, right? And At uh, this point, you've been there 13 years. Yeah, I've been there a long time. Our team is really tight. We're rocking it, man. This reads on the cover of Fortune, CEO of the year, stock has grown, you know, the business has grown 30%, quarter over quarter, three quarters in a row. I mean, it's, we're awesome, right? So we do it, a session at our executive staff, and I, and I said, what if, this kept up like because Reed, Reed always wants to do disaster planning I'm like why don't just for once like what if what if it kept up so the CFO goes to the whiteboard and he does top line revenue 30% and so he yeah. starts doing that happy dance that CFO I mean you can you imagine for those of you who are the finance people you'd be like oh yeah so Ted our head of content we at the time we would say to ourselves someday we'll be as big as HBO Someday. And Ted looks at the number and he goes, it's next year. Right? And we, we just looked at each other like stunned. And Neil, who is our head of product, said, I think that's a third of the U.S. internet bandwidth. I think we could be streaming a third of the U.S. internet bandwidth. And we all just kind of looked at each other like, what? 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 So he and I get together. I'm like, do we have anybody that knows how to do that? He goes, no. <laughs> like, can we do that in our data center? Oh, no, 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 it must be in the cloud. 
So we sit down with our IT team and these guys are amazing. They're amazing. And we lay out the problem and they're like, no worries, you go exec something and we'll build a cloud. And I said, you know what, if there's any people in the room, anybody on earth that could do that, it's probably you guys. Not nine months. We couldn't stand up the servers, <laughs> right? We couldn't lease the physical space and buy the equipment and do it. And so one of the people in the room said, I've been here for seven years, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. Are you telling me I might not be on this team? And I said, yeah, I think that's what I'm telling you. And, um, but we got nine months to figure it out. And you know, even though people didn't like that answer, it was true. And I've worked with engineers forever, and engineers have the, the engineers think the world is good or bad, right or wrong, black or white, zero or one, right? So it was like, I'm not sure I like that answer, but I can't deny the truth of it. And so what the aha of that lesson is, it's your job if you're running an organization to field the team that can win. And you never wanna let the talent or lack of talent in your organization come between you and what success looks like. That's pretty wild what you just said. Can, can, can you say that one more time? If you're in charge of running an organization, it's your job to field a team. It's your job to create amazing teams that do incredible work on time with quality that serve the customer, period. And the finish, it's never to allow the talent to come in between you and what your opportunity. That's unbelievable right there. So uh, has your personality always been like this? Yeah. You're well, and let me ask you, is, <laughs> is, is, Reed, is Reed like you as well? Yeah. He is. He's so, a geek, right? No, no, I'm not talking about the geek part. Here's yeah, what I'm talking about. The geek part matters because the geek part says, you know, when I start speaking HR speak, when I first met him mm -hmm. for about six months, he'd be like, did you just say anything? That, uh, that noise that you made, did that, like, can you tell me How'd you guys English? meet in the first place? How'd you guys, where'd, where'd you guys meet? Oh, this funny story. So, um, I was working at a company called Borland. It was a software uh, company, and uh, I was working with one of, the company was kind of falling apart because Microsoft was killing it, and one of the VPs that I worked with was deciding, he was a Harvard MBA, whether to go back to Harvard and teach or go to a startup, and so I helped career counsel him, and he went to this startup. And um, I called him up about some stock or something one time. I'm like, hey, how'd your new HR guy work out? And he said, oh, man, he was an idiot. We fired him. It's just been bad. He tells me a story. I'm like, oh, great. Well, you can hire me. And he said, you told me if, <laughs> if I hired anybody from Borland, you'd break both my legs. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I didn't mean me. <laughs> so he said, I can't do it. I told the CEO I wouldn't recruit anybody out of there. The CEO's name is Reed Hastings. Good luck. So those of you who are old enough, back in the day you could dial star six nine and it would call back and Reed's sister answered the phone. And I said, hi, I'm Patty McCord. I'm friends with Rob Dickerson. Can I speak, please speak with Reed Hastings? And she put me through and he answered the phone. That's literally how it happened. Literally how it and happened. what did the conversation sound like? Oh, we got in this huge argument because, now remember back in those days, I could still speak HR Do you have speak. a difficult side to your personality? Like there, I, I can sense there's a part of you that's difficult Oh yeah, okay, oh, okay. so, so no. he asked me in the interview, tell me about your um, HR philosophy. Reed, 
I believe in empowering employees to reach their potential so that they can align themselves with the organizational structure and their own desires and careers to accomplish, well, you know, I, I go into full-on HR speak, right? Burning platforms, blah, blah, And he looks at me and goes, you people! Like, why do I have to have somebody like you in my business? You don't speak English. Honestly, that's how I felt. So I'm, I'm trying to see how... Uh, yeah, and, I, and so then I'm like, well, you don't know me. Yeah. And he goes, well, how am I supposed to know you when you're... Blah, blah, blah. So, I, so I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I know how to do some things that are pretty darn important around here, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, like what? I'm like, well, I'm a hell of a recruiter, and I'm really good with engineers. He's like, oh, yeah, well, that might matter. So I go home. I go home. My now ex-husband says... How'd it go? I said, well, I kind of got in a fight with CEO. And he's like, you're the breadwinner of this family. You've got to grow up and act like a real HR person. You're never going to get another job. That's how you got started, the relationship. That's how the relationship so got started. So what, what, uh, what makes an ideal relationship with the CEO and the HR? So what, what makes it effective? Like, what is the, is it very open? Is it constant daily communication? First of all, the, even if you hire a traditional HR person, you've got to get them to unlearn that crazy language that they talk because it's really stupid. And I'm doing a lot for you in that vein. I talk to a lot of HR people and sometimes I don't want to, but you know, I say the door is closed, it's just us, I'm one of you. You gotta stop using a language that nobody knows but us. The language you must speak is the language of the business. So don't put anybody in the role who it doesn't deeply understand your business. They should read, be able to read a P&L and they should be able to derive from that business plan exactly what the team structure should look like. That's their added value. HR people, HR has three components as far as I'm concerned. One of them is staffing. Staffing's really, really critical. And staffing is your job. It's not HR's job. If you have a great partnership with your recruiting or your staffing team, then you'll find the right talent. But finding the right talent for your team is a job that you do all the time. Did I say all the time? All the time. Your, your job, meaning CEO, your job. Absolutely. Okay, it is your job it's to... It's your job to be scouting for talent. Constantly. Because, constantly. And it's your job to do that because you set the example for everybody else in your organization that it's their job to build great teams and they can't build great teams if they rely on a bunch of people in HR that they think are stupid. Okay, question for you. Give me some examples of how you saw Reed constantly looking for talent. I, he was, he, I was interviewing somebody one time and I, I said... I know her. And he goes, yeah, she's the uh, head of HR at Yahoo. And I'm like, why are you interviewing the head of HR at Yahoo? I'm here. He's like, you can get hit by a bus. <laughs> That's a good point. And he's like, I just, you know, want to talk, see what other people are doing, see if there's anything we should try. What year of your career was this? Oh, at this point, I was pretty confident, you know, because Reed had asked me to come to Netflix. So... Um, no, no, meaning this one, when this was taking place? In the year of my career, 20-something probably. No, 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 not in your, what year of Netflix was it? Was it, was it like Early, fifth no, year, I fourth year? Fifth, fifth, oh, okay, year, got it, like I mean, that. you still ended anyway, up. Anyway, so. Uh, the only person, the only reason I'm asking this question, you said your job CEO, you said scouting, you're always scouting. What were some ways that Reed was scouting for talent? Just wherever in a, a meeting like this. Um, to meet people, you know, it's, and very often my experience as a recruiter in all these years, uh, when I coach people about looking for work, I say, it's not what you know or who you know, it's who knows what you know. So every person that you meet is a conduit to somebody else. 
So, for example, in my team, I'm like, we give good interview, I'm telling you, we want every single person that walks in here to walk out and go, God, I hope they hire me, even if we hate them. Because we want them to do, you know, to be at their kid's soccer match and say to the dad next to them, what do you do? <laughs> oh, you know what, I was just interviewing at Netflix and I wasn't the right person, but it sounds like you might be. Should I Got tell it. them about you, right? So that's... Uh, my recruiting, my early, rec I'm a very good technical recruiter. So in Silicon Valley, and this probably happens wherever you are, uh, the engineers had this uh, habit of like, there was the ethnic restaurant du jour. We're all eating Thai food or, you know, it's all about Korean barbecue. And there are always these little hole in the wall restaurants in a, next to a nail salon and a strip mall. And I find out where those restaurants were. And so in those restaurants, they have a like fishbowl. You put your business card in, you get a free lunch. So I'd walk in and I'd take the fishbowl. <laughs> this is before cell phones, right, in the internet. And I'd go to a table in the back corner, I'd dump them out, and I'd just start writing down names, go back and call them. I love that. <laughs> now, so, so, so God gave you LinkedIn. Yeah. So, right, God gave you social networking. Okay, so that's staffing. The next component of HR is the administrative and compliance component. That's okay. payroll and benefits and uh, all the legal labor law sure. stuff. That stuff is really, really important. You want people in those roles who really, really love accuracy. You want them to wake up in the middle of the night and go, I spelled her name wrong. You want them to know all the rules. You don't want them to make any. Um, their answer to can we is always no. Right, so, but that's okay. You need somebody to know what those things are. So I put that in Netflix eventually uh, in finance or in legal. Um, the dilemma of putting that is those guys sometimes don't have the best customer service, so it's an internal thing. Then the third component is the component about organizational structure and design, leadership coaching, uh, the being honest with being, I, I call it being a mirror to your organization. So you have to know the business, and you have to know what your values are, and you have to be able to say truthfully to anybody in the organization, I think we could do better, right? And you have to be able to honestly, for me, I mean, I, I practice it a lot, so I could say to somebody, bring them in the room and close the door and go, you know, you're kind of an asshole. And I'm not going to tolerate it. I know Reed's in love with you, and I know you're brilliant, and I know you also want to be a VP when you grow up. So here's the deal. VPs run teams. VPs who run effective teams run effective teams because people want to work for them and do great work. And nobody wants to work with you. They don't like you. <laughs> they don't like to be in meetings with you. They, they get bummed when they're put on your team. you got to change that, dude, because that's what's going to make success for you. And I'll help you because I'd really like you to not be an asshole and be a brilliant guy that can contribute to our company. He's still there. He's, he's what's next? I'll help you. What does that mean? What's next? For me? No, you said, I'll help you if you want to be a VP one day, but you can't be one being an asshole. Yeah. So when you say, I'll help you, what is that help? What, you need that, actionable help that help was for... Go to this course, read this that book. That help what was is it? for me to uh, see, him at, see his team in a meeting, walk in the room and sit down. He's like, Patty, what are you doing here? I'm like, in the neighborhood. Just thought. And then I would, I would say, um, Todd, excuse me, but you're doing it right now. Because he didn't know. He's like, yeah, I've gotten that feedback before. I'm like, but you didn't do anything about it. So most people who have... Did Reed do that as well or no? He didn't do or it as well as me. Or was that your role? 
<laughs> no, no, meaning, yes, he was that assigned to you yeah. or he did it as well? You no, know, so Reed and I worked together for 25 years. So, you know, this is a long, long time. We could, but, but we worked really hard on he and I modeling the kind of relationship we wanted other people to have. So we would, so we used to go in the early days, we took the company to the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, that was our annual event. And every year, Reed and I would have a bottle of wine together. Got progressively better, by the way, <laughs> that bottle of wine. Uh, and the bottle of wine together that we would have would be the discussion which would say, ne- what's, on our, what's on our plates for next year and am I still the right person? What's on our plate next year and are you still the right person? And is he still or the right person? Or is he still the right Both person? Like, what do you think our strengths and weaknesses are going to be next year? So, for example, when we had the DVD by mail business, I said, you know, Reed, I think we're going to have, we could have like 5,000 employees, and I think 4,000 of them are going to work in warehouses and drive cars, you know, drive trucks and put DVDs into envelopes. I think we're going to have a lot of blue-collar direct labor work for us. And he's like, yeah, I could see that. I'm like, I don't know what minimum wage is. I mean, I'm so far away from this kind of workforce. I just, I'm not your gal to do this. Like, I don't, do we have, do they have to be bonded? I mean, you know, what are the rules around this kind of worker? And he goes, yeah, you'd probably suck at that. And I said, yeah, I probably would. And he goes, but then if we got somebody who, for whom there was, that was their expertise, they probably would suck at relating to engineers. And that's really critical to our business at the time. I'm like, yeah, it's true. And he goes, well, let's do a six-month plan. You go see if you can find somebody to do that, to work for you, who can teach us both about how we manage that kind of workforce. I'm like, okay, deal, right? And then I would say to him, by the way, you know, you keep, you sort of by default keep flowing into this role where we can't keep an executive and honestly we need to find somebody who really owns this and not you anymore right because that's gonna hurt us right so tell me what you mean by you can't keep executives it was a sitch i forget what the role was but it was like if there wasn't anybody in marketing then he'd run it or data science right the data science guy wasn't there so they would report to him i'm like you know really not helpful for you to run a function because we kind of would like you to go ceo something what does CEO mean to you? So what is the CEO's job? A good CEO, what is what is A good CEO do? has a couple of great characteristics. Um, one of them is uh, you're, you have a, you're very smart. Good CEOs have b- good rapid fire um, a- ability to process information. Uh, I, I used to call it, it's old school now, I used to say, you know, you want a really big hard drive. You want to be able to have a lot of, recall a lot of information and keep it there. The second thing is uh, you have to be able to see the future in ways that other people can't. And the third thing is you have to be brave. You have to be the first one off the cliff, right? Nobody's going to jump unless you do. And, um, and you can't spin it. You got to believe it. You know, <laughs> here's, here's a read example. We have reached a million customers. I mean, what a milestone. He's up the company meeting, he's showing the bar graph of a million customers, and afterwards he's like, the best day ever. And I said, yeah, I want to make a rug of it and just lay on it. <laughs> like, and he goes, he goes, yes, five million. Like, five, wait a minute, five million, we just reached a million, we've been working on that goal for four years. He's, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's so yesterday. Five, that's a good number. 
like instantly. I'm like, can we have a party? He goes, I guess if you want, but I mean, you know, one is, was easy, now it's five. <laughs> uh, one more startup story. Uh, engineer, quality engineer says to me, Penny, you, don't, you and me don't understand. Management doesn't understand. It's not like it used to be. We used to all know each other, and we knew what everybody was doing, and we were all really good friends, and it's not like that anymore. There's too many people, and we don't get it. You know? And management doesn't understand. I'm like, Rob, I'm a VP. I report to the CEO. I'm going to call me management, and we've had this conversation seven times, so part A of the sentence is untrue. Management knows. I've talked to Reed about it. Okay. Second part, um, do you know what we want to be when we grow up? No, like we want to be a global corporation. <laughs> and he just kind of melts down. <laughs> no, and I'm like, that's okay, you don't have to be here. You're a 50 person startup guy. Now, by the way, 50 person startups, there's three endings who are startups bigger, smaller, eaten. Smaller is death. So I call that the smoke of nostalgia. Beware in your company if you smell the smoke of nostalgia because you don't get to go backwards. You don't get to keep it the way it is. It's an ever-evolving thing. Your business, if it's successful, will change. So what you want is a team of people who, when things change, don't fret, but go, yes, yes. Two questions for you. Yeah. One, in the book you talked about one of your employees came up to you say it, I need 50 employees at $50,000. We're growing so fast. I need you to help me get this. And then you said, why 50 at 50? Why not 25 at 75? 25 at uh, uh, 100? Why do we need 50 at 50? So at what point do you know if we need 50 at 50 or 25 at 100? How do you process that? You go through my methodology and you decide what the problem is you're trying to solve. And so let's say you're trying to solve a problem of scale and you need somebody who has a lot of experience doing it. Uh, the, I think the, a story I found later, I don't know if it's in the book, was when I went to a CEO who had just gotten another round of funding and he said, yeah, I really want to talk to you because we're going to scale from 150 to 300 people. I said, the magic of 300 is that you think if you hire twice as many people, you'll get twice as much work done. He's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> You know, this is this completely chaotic. And so I said, are those guys in the corner taping up boxes to ship your product? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, it's San Francisco. You're paying San Francisco rents for people to tape boxes? What are you paying them? Well, we don't pay them that much. I'm like, well, you don't pay them enough to live here, that's for sure. And guess what? Figuring out how to efficiently tape boxes, that problem's been solved. <laughs> so you don't need another 10 guys in the corner with tape guns. You need nobody with a cardboard box here. In San Fran. In San Francisco, right? So, so that you, you could outsource, right? So that is something absolutely you could outsource. Are you still literally building the product here? Are those guys have soldering irons? I'm like, okay. And then how many people do you have in customer service? Well, yeah, we're going to need lots more customer service people. I'm like, because it doesn't work that well, right? He goes, yeah. I'm like, or a couple of really expensive, really great engineers to help you solve the problem before it gets to the customer, right? And so what we did was we walked through, first of all, walked through what are the priorities of the business, um, what was the time frames of those priorities, and then that same kind of thing, which is in which areas with the highest priority do we have the weakest teams, and that's where you spend your money.
right? Then you get the absolutely best people. Conversely, I, I worked with another uh, startup that had hired an HR person. They were doing compensation. She was going over her compensation plan with me, and she said, yes, we've decided to pay in the 65th percentile. And I said, huh, why? She goes, well, that, that seems like the right thing to do. And I said, okay, but that's fine. Um, that fits in the budget and all that kind of stuff, and that ma maps with your headcount. And I said, but you can't no longer say we only hire A players. You can't, you can't say that anymore, because A players don't work for 65th percentile. And I said, if, can I be an employee? What does 65th percentile mean, and where's the other, who gets the other 35%? She goes, well, that's not what it means. I'm like, I know it's not what it means, and you know it's, but nobody else in the world knows what it means. And did you use survey data to come up with this? Yes, I did. I said, how hard was it to match people who ship razor blades online to the survey? Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a compensation system that makes sense to you, A, it should make sense to you, and B, you should be really transparent about it. Here's how we figure out your pay. And my experience is there are often times, so the story I told you earlier about cloud computing, we extracted a really talented team out of Yahoo in between CEOs to do our cloud computing. In between you guys going through no, CEOs or in between? Yahoo was going through CEOs. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. like every two years, it's like, God, go to get into no Yahoo and start yeah. recruiting because the last one quit. So did you guys exploit that opportunity? Absolutely. So we, okay, so let me ask you that. The, the, the part about pure competition, was, was the idea like, we got to, you know, extract best talent from this company, put these guys out of business? Was it a pure, it was, like... No, it wasn't, wasn't competitive, but... I, but like the I way you said you, absolutely sounded very competitive. I feel that all is fair in love and war and recruiting. That's the point. That's the point. I okay. really do. Fair because enough. Yeah. It, and, and I mean it both ways. If you tell me you want to be a CFO and you're actually pretty close and I might need a CFO in a couple of years and I'm busy working with you on it and you're a talented guy and I like you and I don't want you to leave. Sure. But somebody reaches out to you and says, I got a CEO. See, CFO position in my company right now, I think you'd be amazing at. Well, I want you to take it, right? I can't, if I can't Have you had it, that conversation multiple absolutely. times? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've had more. <laughs> Reed's like, hey, you were talking to so-and-so. What were you talking to him about? I'm like, that it's time for him to go. He's like, you are telling our employees to leave? I'm like, he's not happy and not into the work anymore. And he's got all these other opportunities. And every day he walks in feeling like he passed another one by. <laughs> here's, uh, here's the Google story that's in my book. We had this guy that, uh, he was a uh, university hire at Cisco. He'd been at Cisco for like a year. And then we brought him over to work with our most talented, most senior engineer working on the personalization algorithms, the, the AI in our business. And so he was sort of his um, protege for about five years. And the uh, personalization algorithms at Netflix are deep, deep core uh, um, software, deep core uh, talent, deep, in part of our business, right? So he's been there about five years, and his boss calls me up and says, John got an offer from Google at twice his salary. I'm like, bullshit. 
will tell him like, not let the door hit him in the butt on the way. He's not worth twice as he hit, Google can't pay anybody. Google's got more money. Google can't doesn't rule the You're world. Saying this that. Is, I'm saying that. Yeah. I, I my reptilian HR brain kicks in and I'm like, no, no, he doesn't. Well just tell him to go to Google. And they're like, he can't go to Google. He's critical to us. See, that's what happens when we make one person the center of our product and it shouldn't be like that. We should be more dis no. So then the VP gets in, then Reed gets in. We're emailing back and forth all weekend. Sunday morning I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, of course they want him. Who else knows what he knows? I mean, I'm thinking, we can't hire anybody <laughs> because there's nobody that knows. So I send an email out, I say, I was wrong. I, um, I just looked at the salaries of everybody on that team. We can double it and it's nothing to the P&L. I can go, I'll do it as soon as I get into work. And everybody's like, wait a minute! You can't say yes. You're supposed to say no. And Who's everybody? Reed? Yeah, I mean, well, people, they're, they're trying I, to I'm the one to that, well, the yeah, so, so, but what we did was we started to have the real conversation we needed to have, which was, oh my God, my dream came true. Now, having worked here makes you more valuable. And I started thinking about, wow. so, so this is yes. where my, I'm hanging around with inventors all the time, yep. right? So now I'm thinking, wait a minute, oh my God, all these companies that worry about retention when their compensation system is so restrictive that it makes people, and John came in, he goes, I heard you've been talking about my offer at Google. I'm like, yeah. And he says, I can't say no, I got a family. I mean, it's not nobody, it's Google. I mean, it's a pretty cool opportunity. So, you know, I want to stay, but it's twice my salary. And, you know, he's like, I, I might be worth it. And he was. So... He told over, you I might be worth it? Yeah, and I, over time, what I realized was for the... For people that you want to stay that are really critical to the business, you can't keep them. That's, you can't change, does, you don't retain people, it doesn't work. But you can take money off the table as an issue. Right, and I, and I used to tell people, this also got me in trouble with all my fellow HR people who already did this. I said to everybody, look, I know you're being recruited all the time, I know the headhunters call you, I know that we're very popular right now. But I'm trying to figure out what real market data is for you guys and it's hard because it's shifting. So when the headhunter calls, please, before you say no thanks, be sure you say how much income tell me. <laughs> so, so I would know what other people were offering them. And then I just went through the company quarterly and looked at particularly teams that we'd done a lot of hiring on and said, well, so everybody we hired makes more money than the people we have. Is it there, we just hired a bunch of better people, which can be, right? You hired more senior people and you pay them more. Or is it that the people that you want to stay on the team should, could leave and get jobs at a better salary, right? So that's just, I, you know, when you start to think about it, Everything, so my bigger message to you is the way you think about your product, the way you think about your customer, the way you think about innovation, you can apply all of that to managing people. Last question before uh, we uh, wish you the best. Um, how did it feel when you were going through the process of maybe you're competing, maybe you're not, but the, you know, the company you're going up against at the beginning stages of a blockbuster, and then they went out of business. What was that like 
for you when that took place? Like, what conversation did you, you and Reed have when that happened? A pre one, we, we used to listen to the Blockbuster earnings call. Everybody in the company would go into a conference room and listen to the Blockbuster earnings call on the Polycom. You remember those that sat in the middle of your, and we'd all sit around the table and like listen. And one of the analysts asked John Agtioko, the CEO of Blockbuster, what do you think of Netflix? And he said, the, stop asking me about that stupid little company. I love that. They are a gnat. They are no one. No one will ever use this stuff. It's too hard. It's he too did not say that. He did, right. People love the video stores. We're the largest video retail r- renter in the globe. Wow. The, and, and I'm looking at my CMO who's sitting across from me, and behind her on the whiteboard is our customer growth, right? And, and I, like I told you, it's like, and we went, oh my God, he, he doesn't know, right? Reed had tried, Reed had gone to sell him us the year before. Hey, you want to buy our service? He's like, they're like, no. And I forget what it was, you know, $40 million or something like that. And so, uh, so then we get to the company meeting and people are like, kill him! <laughs> take him down, take him down, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And, and we're like, yeah, so here's our strategy. Everybody's like, give us a strategy. We're taking Blockbuster down. We're like, Lalo. <laughs> give it up, Patty McCord. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Aww. I got a gift for you. you I got a gift, gift for, for you. Me. Amazing. I got a gift for you, though. Let me get the gift. Okay. All right, come on. So, oh, what's he got? I figured it just made sense to get you an oh, old my God. Blockbuster bag. Whoa. And I, and I got you some you special limited it? edition <laughs> DVD, one week rental, one week rental, one week rental for her, okay? Oh, and then I also so know you love sailing. I figured you're going to appreciate this. Oh, how lovely. This. Now, you're going to have to send that No, of course we're going to yeah, ship it. I'm yeah. not going to take this with you on the... Where did you get these? Well, you know, we had to call a few people, but we got it for you. That's so you can amazing. go frame it and do Thank whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. Make noise for Patty McCord. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.